The scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 36. In the Pew Bibles, and the ESV Pew Bibles, it's on page 910. And Acts, it's the Acts of Jesus Christ through the apostles. So hear, hear God's word. Now when they heard, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continues to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being, were being done among the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, uh, distributing the proceeds to all and any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number days by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. If you're new with us today, we're in a brief four-Sunday series on the subject of community. And we're taking this opportunity to acknowledge that one of the things the Holy Spirit is working in, into, into our hearts, into our thinking, and into our practices is our need to have our hearts knit together and to create places where people who are growing with us and coming to faith in Jesus are discovering that Christianity, Christian faith, is not simply something that you experience as an individual, but is something that we live together that God has not only reconciled us with himself, but also reconciled us to one another. And so we've looked at Jesus intentionally creating community, and we've looked at uh, Jesus growing up in community. So Jesus created community, he grew up in community, and he calls us to be his new covenant community together. We've been doing that primarily in Luke's gospel, Uh, We're turning now to volume two of Luke's account of the early Jesus movement. Volume two is the book of Acts, what Mike rightly called the Acts of Jesus through the apostles. It wasn't just the Acts of the apostles. Here's what Jesus is doing, continuing to do through his church. And we come here to Acts chapter two, which is this wonderful glance into this ancient Christian community and what was going on there. While I was preparing for this this week and uh, what was happening among them, I had a Disney tune that kept going through my head. And I know I should be more spiritual. You, you should probably think I should have a hymn going through my head. But I kept having this Disney song going through my head because I felt like it described everybody's general approach to Christian faith that I keep running into. Um, and it got me, then I started thinking, well, that's what, that's got to be one of the top, Ten greatest Disney tunes ever. Because Disney not only produces great animation, but great songs too. So then I had to look it up. I had to look it up. What are the top ten all-time Disney tunes? And here's what bothered me. It's not on there. 
My song's not on there. So here's your top ten. Kiss the Girl, Little Mermaid. I'll Make a Man Out of You, Mulan, came in number nine. I Just Can't Wait to Be King, number eight. Number seven was Under the Sea. Number six, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Um, number five, Be Our Guest. Number four, Part of Your World, Little Mermaid. Number three, You'll Be in My Heart. Tarzan? Really? Okay. Number two, Circle of Life. Okay, okay. Elton, number two. All right. Number one, number one. Any takers? A whole new world. Aladdin. Who knew? Can I just say that if you don't like this list, let it go. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about that list. I had seriously serious questions about all this, a whole new world, until I looked it up. And it turns out a whole new world won the Grammy that year, not just for, you know, like best original song, you know, but, a, but, but the best song of the year. And it beat out Sting and Billy Joel and Neil Young and Meatloaf. If you beat out Meatloaf for song of the year, you are, that's number one. It's not, but I was kind of baffled, man. Where were bare necessities? And when you wish upon a star and hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And mine, Hakuna Matata. Where was Hakuna Matata? And some of you are hating on me so much right now because you're saying, oh, no, that earworm is in me and I cannot get it out of my head now. What is Hakuna Matata? You know that song. No worries for the rest of our days. It's our problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. And I said, there's just about every Christian I know. A lot of people think that Christian life means that because Christ has done all that is necessary to reconcile us to God, that there is nothing we do to be right with God, that he has done it all. And this is the difference between Christian faith and every other religion in the world. All the other religions say, if you do this and this and this and this, then maybe at the end God will let you in. No, The gospel says, God says, I'm doing everything to bring you to myself and to give you the gift, the unmerited, undeserved gift of eternal life. All you could ever earn or deserve, sin and death, I'm wiping that out and giving you the gift of eternal life through my son, Jesus Christ. A lot of people go from there and think that because we're not saved by our works, that we haven't been saved for good works. But Paul says we are saved for living for Christ, for living for him. And so when you look at this passage in Acts chapter 2, what you find are a community of people who were not approaching their life as a kind of no worries, no responsibilities. You see, when... When Simba is singing that song, he's singing that in the time where he has abandoned his community. He's abandoned the vision of what he's been called to. Akuna Matata works until you realize you're called to the throne. And if you really are called to the throne then actually you have to lean into some commitments. And there are responsibilities that are placed upon you. And there is the mastery of certain skills which you are going to have to have in your life. 
And this is exactly what you see in Acts chapter 2. You find people, 3,000 of them, responding to Peter's message. He stood up on the day of Pentecost in the atmosphere of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it says he took his stand with the eleven. The 11 other apostles, they didn't even preach alone. They preached in community. And Peter took his, he took his stand with the 11 and he said, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me stop right there. The Holy Spirit is the atmosphere in which community is created. See, a church can say, well, here's a program we're going to develop, or here's some groups we're going to form. Well, programs and structures and so on have to be done. But at the end of the day, it's the breath of heaven that has to fill the structures. Now, some people, of course, don't want any structures. They just want to say, well, just let the Spirit do His thing. And some people can get way over on structure. But structure and Spirit go together. Those are not mutually exclusive ideals. You have a body that's formed, but it's just a corpse until the breath enters it. That's what God did with Adam. He formed him, and then he breathed into him, and he brought him to life. And so there's a forming and a breathing. Would you say that with me? Forming and breathing. So there's a forming that takes place under God's hand. Then there's the breathing that God brings to what's been formed. Both belong together. So what God was doing on the day of Pentecost was calling people to himself, but not simply saying to them as individuals, now you're saved. People on the day of Pentecost, when they came to faith in Christ, when they got baptized, they didn't say, now I got my get out of hell card, and off they went. No. They came not only to Christ, but together. And they began to take on the shape of Christian community. We've been working with a definition of community. Let me put it up here for you. I wanted to remind you of it. We've been working with this the last couple of Sundays. What is Christian community? It's a committed, compassionate sharing of life and truth in which we grow in Christ together and give Christ to others. Well, we looked at growing together. I want to come back to that initial sense of commitment. I want to deal with the commitment word. And you see it in Acts 2.42. As these people received Peter's word and they were added into that community, that church grew from 120 people to 3,120 people in a single day. What are you going to do with that kind of growth? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want to pick up on that word devoted. They devoted themselves. That's an interesting word. And I'm using the word habit to describe it. I want to talk to you this morning about Acts 2.42 and what it tells us about the habits, the committed habits of people who actually live out the Spirit-inspired Christian community life. Why use a word like habit? Well, the word for devoted in this text means an obstinate persistence. Obstinate persistence. Have you ever met anybody who was just obstinate? 
They just couldn't be budged. They were just into something and they just kept after it. Do you know anybody who is obstinate? Stop looking around. (laughs) This is an all elbows in, trays in the upright and locked position sermon. Obstinate. Obstinate persistence. That's the word that's used here. It was used of the kind of activity that creates mastery. Like if you see somebody who's a brilliant musician and you watch their fingers fly across the frets and you watch them pluck the strings. If you see a dancer and her moves are incredibly graceful as she interprets the story and the music. If you watch a chef working that knife. If you see a soldier and the way blindfolded he can assemble and disassemble his weapon. You look at that and go, That's easy. No, that's not what you say. You say they made it look easy. And you know they made it look easy because of hours of saying no to many things so they could say yes to this. And they were obstinately persistent in giving themselves to these things so that These things were cultivated among them and they became, listen to this, second nature to who they were. They're just who they are. You couldn't imagine that person apart from those things. You can't imagine Christian community apart from these four things in this text in Acts 2.42. Oh no, you can imagine Christianity now apart from them, but you couldn't imagine early Christianity apart from these four things. You couldn't imagine faithful Christianity apart from these four things. The fact that we have a kind of early 21st century North American kind of Christianity that bears no resemblance to Acts 2.42 only shows that our Christianity is in deficit. But here are the habits of the early Christians. What are they? Here's the first one. Teaching. Teaching. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves, they were obstinate perpetually about this. Teaching. The apostles' teaching. They leaned in to being instructed in the Scriptures. You may experience community at many different levels. Could be community with your neighborhood, community with people that you go to class with, community that you're in a particular book club with or anything else. But there is one supreme book club. It's this one. Doctrine is something that the early Christians built their community around. Real, authentic Christian community, spirit-inspired Christian community is built around the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, Jesus said. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven, the psalmist said. Now, of course, this isn't popular today. People today want to say, you don't need doctrine. Doctrine, that's dry and dusty and boring. Don't talk about theology. I know what a theologian is. I heard a definition of a theologian as a blind man in a dark room that's looking for a black cat that isn't there. And finding it. But the truth is, you need doctrine. You need the truth of the gospel communicated into your life. When someone says, you don't need doctrine, you just need love, 
That's a doctrine. That's their doctrine. Their doctrine is, your doctrine isn't important. But in point of fact, listen to this, your life is rooted in Jesus' teaching. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Where does that come from? Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, he who hears my word and does it is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You have to know the Scriptures and you have to build your life on the Scriptures, the authoritative, infallible revelation of God to humankind. Opinions will come and go, but this Word is unchanging. And this is the truth around which we gather and on which we live. And so real Christian community is devoted, it's obstinately persisting in the truth of the gospel. Not just your experience, not just your emotions, not even the joy that you have in each other's company because that will wax and wane. But this word never fails. This word is where you find the truth that leads to the experience of the love that never lets us go. John Stott said, Truth and love should not be separated. That a heart that only gives itself to truth becomes brittle and hard. But the heart that only gives itself to love becomes too soft and open to deception. But the heart and the mind that are gripped by both truth and love are Christian hearts because those are hearts shaped by Jesus who is God Love made flesh and who said, I'm the truth. Love and truth are perfectly brought together in Jesus and they belong perfectly together in the Christian community. Doctrine is something we have to be taught and delight in. Here's a second thing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's the word koinonia. It's where we get the word community. This is one of the habits of community. You say, well, wait a minute, David. You're saying community is one of the habits of community. Isn't that kind of a redundant statement? Community is one of the habits of community. Well, it isn't. And let me explain why. Commitment leads to more commitment. What happens in Christian community is this. There is a constant recommitment to what you have already committed to. Because in the course of living out what that initial commitment means, you will have opportunities to back away from it. You have to make an initial choice to go towards another person, towards the community. Say you see somebody and you go, I'd like to take that person out. Uh, okay, you have to kind of say, would you marry me next Friday at 7? That's not what you say, is it? That's not what you say. You say, I'd like to take you out for dinner. That's a measure of commitment. Now, having made that commitment, that commitment can lead to other commitments. And then what if you're married? If you're married, where are your commitments? Do your commitments get made once and that's it why do you say tell me i love you i told you i love you once 20 years ago when i married you why don't you just say that again well there's a recipe for disaster right 
Yeah. What if you approached it just in an organizational way? I kissed you when we got married. We only kiss on Sundays at 10. Well, that's silly. No, what you're doing is constantly recommitting to the commitments that you've already made. And in the context of the commitment, what happens is the souls get knit together. That's what happens. You see, there's this beautiful illustration of this in the Old Testament between two men who become deep friends, Jonathan and David. They had an initial commitment. They were committed, Jonathan, the son of Saul, David, who is now Saul's attendant, and they're committed in the mission that they have together. And then it says, in that commitment, God knit the hearts of them together. Now, I'm going to put it to you this way. If you wait for God to knit your heart with someone before you make a commitment, you'll never, ever have your heart knit. A basic commitment to other people puts you in a position where the Holy Spirit begins to knit your heart with others. You see, many Christians don't have their hearts knit with others. They attend services, but I do think most Christian gatherings are the fellowship equivalent of calling somebody your friend on Facebook. They're not really your friends. They're acquaintances. They're people that you know something about. But you can't call them when you're in need. But you see, when you actually begin to find people together and you commit to them, then what begins to happen is you see them. You've heard the expression, love is blind. G.K. Chesterton said, love is not blind. Love is attentive. It sees. It perceives. And you have to be in each other's lives for that to grow so that we begin to understand each other. There's a knitting of heart that takes place. But that takes an initial commitment. But then there is a recommitment. We are constantly rededicating ourselves to what we have already dedicated ourselves. Here's a third thing. Worship. Teaching, community, worship. So I didn't see the word worship in there. Well, look what it says. They were commi- they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, that's what, how it reads in the English versions, just about every one of them, the breaking of bread. But in Greek, and I'm going to get down here in the weeds a little bit, it says there's a, de- there's a definite article in front of the word bread. The breaking of the bread. Not breaking of bread. Breaking of the bread. The breaking of the bread. That's worship. Now, today, when you say worship, just about everybody thinks music. Well, music's a component of worship. Song is a component of worship. The early Christians were a singing people. There's no question about that. But song was a component of worship. Worship is the ministry of the Word. It's certainly the ministry of the Word of God in song as well. But in the early Christian church, they worshiped around the table. You go back and read some of the ancient early Christian fathers like Justin Martyr writing in 125 about how ancient Christian worship went. They read the scriptures together. They sang the psalms together. They opened up the text together, the memoirs, they called it, of the apostles and the prophets. And then the the pastor would speak a message. And then they would all gather around the table for the breaking of the bread. This reference in Acts chapter 2 is to the gathering of the people together around the word of God, face to face with each other 
other around the table of the Lord because what Christian community does is it keeps calling us back to Jesus, back to the cross, back to what he did there. And that is why in our worship together, whether it's in a large group or even in smaller settings, it's not just breaking bread. It's the breaking of the bread because in the breaking of his body occurs, you ready for this? The healing of the body. The relationships that have been shredded and torn asunder. The mistrust and the bruising, the collisions. It's in the breaking of his body on the cross that we find the healing of the relationships that are ours. Worship not only connects us with God, it remembers the church. It puts us back together again. That's why this is one of the habits of the ancient Christians. And then lastly, it says, the prayers. The prayers. Not just praying together, but the prayers. These were people who had as a habit an obstinate persistence in prayer. If you go to Acts chapter 1, that little community of people with Mary and the other women and the early apostles, they were praying together. They were waiting on God leading up to the day of Pentecost. As you read through the book of Acts, you'll see them constantly calling out to God together, praying together. We have a prayer opportunity next weekend. That's just one of many. But it's not just personal, devoted prayer, it's shared prayer. So the Christian community is not just seeing each other and taking joy in each other, much as that, much as that blesses us, it's getting on our knees together, interceding for one another, bearing with one another, being one of those people in Mark's gospel, one of those four friends that carry the paralyzed man to Jesus. Because in our praying together, we are carrying one another. How many of you have had to have someone else carry you? You had people carry you. But there will be times where you're the one being carried, and other times you're the one doing the carrying. And they carried him to Jesus. He could not walk. He could not do it. He could not get there. They brought him. That's what praying together does. It helps us carry each other to Jesus. These are the habits of the early Christian community. They were giving themselves persistently, obstinately. I want good doctrine. I want community. I want the commitment to each other. I, I long for worship together. I want to celebrate together. And I want to pray with you for one another, for our children, for our grandchildren. We want to be not just face-to-face together, but on our faces together. My friends, these are the habits of the ancient Christians. Can I ask you a question? Are these the habits, the things of your life about which you are obstinately persistent? Mike Smith told me this last week that in the early days of Christ Community Church, small groups were actually called 242 groups for this verse, Acts 242. Maybe you were once part of a 242 group. But you know something? Every one of us could be part of a 242. Every one of us. And that leads me to this question. Who are, who are the three 
to eight, maybe ten people. Who are they that you can do those habits with of instruction and prayer and community and worship? Where's your community? Do you have that? Maybe you don't. Maybe this morning you feel isolated and lonely. Maybe this morning you're saying, I don't really have those connections, but I want them. I want you to know this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to bring those about. The one who knit the soul of David with the soul of Jonathan. The one that breathed into existence this community we're reading about in Acts chapter 2. He wants to come to work in your life so that you can say, I know my community. I know the Holy Spirit has joined me heart and soul with these people. And we're leaning in. These are the habits of our life. I want to pray for you this morning. That whether you're a member of this church or another church, maybe you're just visiting with us, that you will have a 242 life. That the habits of the Holy Spirit's work in this Christian community will become characteristic of your faith as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you pour out your Holy Spirit Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You who take the work of Jesus and breathe it into our souls, come, Holy Spirit, and knit our hearts together. Create communities for the lonely and the broken. Take hold of hearts that have been separated and shattered and bring healing to those places. Lord, we thank you that you will be so at work in Jesus' name. Amen.